Welcome to the Princeton Evangelical Free Church Podcast. I'm John Padno, the lead pastor here at PEFC, where it is our desire to equip people to grow together in Christ. Our hope is that this podcast is a help and an encouragement to you this week. May God bless you as you listen. If you don't have a Bible this morning, we have uh, these wonderful ushers who are passing the plates. We have a Bible we would love to give you as a free gift from us to you. Uh, it's, it's a great Bible. It's a leather Bible. You will enjoy it. It's got that new Bible smell. If you've never experienced that, I encourage you to experience the new Bible smell. Last week, we uh, encountered for the first week Paul's missionary journeys and really the first missionaries that the church sends out. And when we think about sending out missionaries, sometimes we think like, oh, they sent out missionaries, so it's like tribes and huts in Africa. That's what it is. And really, that's not the first missionary journey. First missionary journey is maybe half an hour down the road, so to speak. It's an island on Malax Lake that they know some people already. They have some family there. They have what we and I referred to last week as common ground with these people in order to share the gospel. That right here, the church in Antioch is going out here to the island. That's what we went last week. And we're going to go up to Antioch this week in following Paul. Last week, too, I printed these out for you. It is a helpful sheet. I hope you found it helpful last week in developing an evangelism strategy for 2020, what we all know is that we, if we have no strategy for this year, chances are our neighbors, our friends will not come to know Jesus, right? If we have no strategy, just like everything else in life, if we have no strategy to work out, if we have no strategy to get to know our spouse in a deeper, intimate way, chances are the year will pass us by and nothing will have changed. I have these out here on the Welcome Center table. If you missed one, if you didn't grab one last week. Uh, but again, common ground only serves as a launching pad and not a place of rest. Common ground with people only serves as a launching pad to introduce them to Jesus. It's not the place that we rest in our relationship with, with people. As we continue on and as, you know, we, we sang and read the fighter verses and even as we read the scripture this morning, I only have two points this morning. There's much rejoicing. Uh, I was reminded of a song called Blessed Be Your Name. This is not a new song. It's been around for a while. And, and Blessed Be Your Name has this, and I feel like it's a very interesting bridge that we all sing together. It says, and, and we're, we're praising God, you give and you take away, you give and you take away. My heart, whether you're giving, whether you're taking away, will always choose to say, blessed be your name. How many times, I wonder, have we sang this song and we've really just sang it with our mouth? Right? We know the bridge, it just comes out. But how many times have we sang this song and we've really thought about this? Or, or even been taken to a time where the Lord, you know, I think, has taken away from us.
And we really kind of pressed into that, what we're praising the Lord for in those moments. And so this is a little bit, even this morning, uh, we celebrate God giving us the birth of baby faith and, and the much rejoicing and as well as, and in, in, I'm sorry, I have to announce this this morning, but last night I was in the ER with the family of Jesse Hall, a long-term attender of this church who had a massive stroke and passed away. There's going to be a service later this week. We're going to get out information to you. Really sudden, really, uh, he paid for my family's meal on Thursday at the golf course. A shock. And yet, as a church, we sing verses like this. And yet, in Jesse's case, there's this bittersweetness that I say this because I know he's with Jesus. I've talked with Jesse how many times? Right? As we talked about, we even sang about God preparing a place for us. He's in that place. And therein lies the rub. As we come to chapter 13, Beginning in verse 13, Paul, he goes and sets sail for Paphos, comes to Pergia. Would you come with me uh, more specifically to verse 16 is where we're going to start. Uh, you know, Paul, he goes to the synagogue in chapter 13, verse 16, and he, he's looked upon with respect. He knows the law. He's a teacher of the law. And he says, brothers, to Paul and Barnabas, this is the synagogue members, they say, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. There's not often that they had great teachers that came in their synagogue. So they're like, hey, it's your turn to teach and give some commentary on the scripture. And so Paul begins in his encouragement he says, men of Israel, you who fear God, listen. So we know there's Jews here, there's Gentiles, there's those who are far from God. They're all a part of the church meeting this, in that morning. He says, the God of the people of Israel, I have it up here on the screen. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers and he made a people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arms, he led them out of it. Right? The Lord gives and yet... For 40 years, he put up with them. Same could be said with me. Only 33 years the Lord put up with me so far in the wilderness. And after, God takes away, destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan. And yet the Lord gives. He gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them the judges until Samuel and the prophets. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years, and when he had taken away, he removed King Saul. And yet God gives, he raises up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do my will. Even in this scripture, we see God, he gives, he chooses, he makes a people, he uplifts, and yet God put ups with. A people he destroys he removes and yet God too raises up Paul's main point here is that we were made for a king and we have in fact been given this promised king this is his encouragement this is why he's going through a history they all know very well look at it with me verse 23 
He says, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, just as he promised in all of the Scripture. He is the promised king. Some of us have been familiar with this dynamic of, in our lives, God giving and taking away, uh, as well as this illustration here, of God being the Lord over your life, and or really this idea is of the throne of our life. Who is on the throne of our life? Is it Jesus or is it ourselves? And I would say during circumstances where the Lord is both giving as well as when the Lord is both taking away, there are times where we struggle with keeping and having the Lord Jesus on the throne over our life. God takes away. He allows things to be taken away. And really, how does this affect us in keeping Jesus on the throne? So we're going to begin first that God takes away. At times we live in a time where the Lord takes away, he allows things to be taken away that we would consider to be our stability. How many of you at times believe and have your health being your stability and when you get a cold, you feel a little bit unstable? Men? <clears throat> stability could be financial security, right? It, it can be job security. It could simply be relational conflict that takes away what is this perceived stability in our lives. When God takes away our stability, how do I struggle with Him? How do I struggle with keeping Him the Lord over my life? You know, I would say we like to control and we like to trust in what we can see, but there are times, many times for us, where faith is what? not by sight. We need to walk by faith and trust in who God is and not by what we see in front of us, by supposed instability of finances or relational conflict, or even sometimes what we feel in terms of instability. Because is God ever surprised by the instability in our world? Beloved, God is never surprised by the instability in our world. Secondly, God takes away, sometimes we can become too attached to the point where we need things and people in our lives. Maybe these are good things, but maybe these are bad and unhealthy things and people we are holding on to. God is going to take them away or allow them to be taken away in order to strengthen our faith and prove our need for Him is enough. Right? We even sing about this. When God takes things or people that we perceive as needs in our life, how do we struggle with keeping the Lord Jesus on the throne over our life instead of kicking him off and saying, you don't really know what I need, right? I think because particularly with good things, the real struggle is that we think that we have deserved them in some way, shape, or form. That we've earned them. God owes me what he has taken away from me. But in fact, that isn't true. 
And we can come to God with an entitlement mindset. And so maybe in your life, it's, it's maybe a prayer to say, God, am I coming to you entitled? Uh, because when I think I earn or deserve certain things, that leaves me very str- frustrated with God when he takes them away, does it not? I mean, and even this morning as I'm thinking about this, I mean, my kids are a lot like me than they are unlike me. And when you take away from your children or do not give them exactly what they want at the exact time that they say your name 10 times in a row, the frustration sets in because there's a sense of entitlement to that. How do we do that to God when he takes things away from us? And is that the cause of our frustration with him this morning? Last, God takes away before God gives. Uh, sometimes we go through seasons of the Lord giving and taking away of important people in our lives. And I, and I know the majority of you baby boomers out there, specifically, the Lord has taken away your parents. One or two of them, he has called them home. They have passed away. And you're living in a season where your parents have been taken back by him. Some of you are living in a season where a close friend has been taken back by the Lord, maybe through death or maybe even through distance. And I know because I've spoken to you, that's a very hard thing to deal with and to navigate through. Some of you were very close to your mom, to your dad. You called them every single day. And you feel like you're without direction. In that season, when we struggle, how can we keep God on the throne over our life? The reality is, beloved, uh, we want every season of our life to be harvest season, don't we? Uh, farmers, how many of you want your, every season of your life to be harvest season? Never planting season, never waiting season, never pruning season, never down season, but always harvest season. But we know from nature, and just like in our own lives, that's just not how things work. And in fact, each season develops another season in our life. Without the planting season, without the pruning season, we can't have the fruitful season in our lives. I was thinking about this the other day. You know, uh, for those of us who have hope in Jesus, if we do not feel the grief of loss and death deeply, we will not feel the depth of hope deeply either. Maybe to say it another way, to the depth that we feel this grief and loss is to the amount that we look for the Lord Jesus to fill that void of loss and despair with hope and joy and peace. God doesn't just take away, does he? No. God gives. He's a good, good father. He gives. There are times where I know I am given stability I'm given strength. I'm even given status by the Lord and for his glory. Amen. Hallelujah for that. 
In these circumstances, though, where I'm given these things, I still struggle at times to keep the Lord on the throne of my life instead of putting myself on the throne. Uh, maybe an illustration that came to me as I was talking to my wife about this, uh, there's this character named Jack. He's on this big ship that is deemed unsinkable. And as he stands on the top of this big ship, he says, I'm king of the world. Some of us are living a life on the Titanic. And you think you're king of the world at the moment, but your ship's sinking. It's going to sink. You see, in these moments, I struggle to keep Lord Jesus on the throne of my life because I lose the feeling, thought, and reality of my own neediness for the Lord. Right? Every hour I need you, Lord, I need you. Every day. And instead, I'm shouting, I'm king of the world until a cold comes. Right, Anna? The Lord gives. There are times where I am given the things and people that I pray to the Lord for. Amen. Hallelujah. God answers my prayers. And yet still in this season, I can struggle keeping the Lord on the throne of my life. How so? Because I do not live in worshipful thankfulness, recognizing that all these good things are answered prayers that have come from God and God alone. Last but not least, there are seasons where God brings new people into our lives, people who we are meant to connect with in a deep way that may be similar to the connections we had in the past, but they also may look different. And how do I struggle with keeping the Lord on the throne of my life during a new season like that? I was joking with a couple uh, before I came up here is that uh, they change seats and they're not supposed to change seats in the church. See, the problem with this is, is that we are creatures of habit and we want familiarity of friends, of times, and of people that we've had for how many years, right? Or friends and times and people of, of things that we've reminisced. And as a consequence of this, we may miss what God might want to do simply because it's new. Because these friends aren't going to be like the same friends that you used to have back in youth group. These friends aren't going to be the same friends you used to have in your 20s when you had children. These friends might not be the same friends of your same age group as you are older. And yet God is still calling you to have a deep connection with people in your life today. And it's going to be new, and that is a little bit scary, but don't be scared. There's a promise. The promise of freedom as we begin to close the service this morning, as we begin to think about these ideas, is that, first of all, the promise of freedom, look at it with me, verse 26. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of salvation. That is, how to have a right relationship with God. 
For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize Jesus nor understand the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, they nonetheless fulfilled all of these things by condemning Jesus to death. They, though they found him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all of what was written of Jesus, they took him down from the tree, laid him in the tomb, but God raised him from the dead. And he appeared to those we had come up with him in Galilee and to Jerusalem, who are now witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news of what God has promised to the fathers. Right? God has br brought us a promised king, but it hasn't just stopped there. We get to delight in this promise. The first promise of this freedom of salvation has come at a known cost of condemnation, suffering, and death that was proclaimed by the prophets and known before the foundations of the earth in order that innocence would come instead of condemnation, in order for freedom to come instead of suffering and abundant life instead of death. We have this promise of freedom and why we need to keep him on the throne over our lives is so that the promises that were said about Jesus could be said about us. Right? Let's look at it here. We'll look at these quotations of Scripture. Verse 33, it says this, First of Jesus, you are my son, and today I have begotten you. I have, in some respects, adopted you. You are my unique son. Right? This is said about Jesus by the Father at his baptism. You are my son in whom I am well pleased. Right, Jesus, and that promise fulfilled in Christ is our promise as adopted sons and daughters. And it can only be ours because it was first Jesus's. Secondly, look at verse 34. He says, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Verse 35, the promises, you will not let your holy one see corruption. Jesus, was he left to rot in the grave or Below the earth, no, he was not. He was raised to the right hand of the Father. And because it was Jesus' first, we have the blessing that we too will not see corruption if we know and love Jesus. We see and look down verse 41. It says, Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells you. Because of the miraculous work of Jesus on the cross, the promise fulfilled first by him, that it could be said about us that we have a promise of what is going to be worked out in our lives. A beautiful, beautiful thing the Lord is going to do. One that people would scoff at if you told them what the end plan design would be. Last but not least, what Paul brings to the Jews, of course, is that the promise of freedom has come to free us from everything the law could never do. Verse 38 and 39, Paul says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by Jesus everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. 
the limits in the law to give us freedom is because only true freedom comes with a restored relationship with God and only as Jesus as our true king and father. More often than not, as we begin to read Paul, as he begins to expand on his theology, he doesn't use the word freedom from the law, but uses a technical term. How many of you uh, know this Christianese word, justification? This is what he refers to, freedom from the law. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners, which we'll get to as the weeks go on. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith, meaning have a right standing before God. Not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one is justified. And again in Romans, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be shut. Why? Because the whole world is accountable to God. Because there's nobody without sin. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. That is, made known apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ comes to all who believe. You see, what Paul is fleshing out is that what the law has done a great job in is showing us the character and holiness of God. Amen? It also shows our character or lack thereof and our desperate need for a Savior, someone to make ultimate payment for lawbreakers and debtors such as ourselves. In terms of the good news of salvation, that is the technical term for relationship with God. There is no promise that says if you follow the law completely that you will be saved. And even if there were such a thing, the good news is that you are hopeless to accomplish it. Why? You were born in sin. I'm sorry to, to tell you this if this is your first time hearing this. You were born in sin. If you have children, you get this completely. The original sin from Adam and Eve is laced in your DNA. From a young age, your heart has suffered from rebellion as a symptom of this original sin, this much deeper issue. The good news is this, that there is no need to pretend, as Emily said, whether it's an anonymous survey or all of life. There's no need to pretend. There's no need to strive to do a work that is only frustrating because it's impossible. Because the good news is Jesus has accomplished this work for you and has been perfect on your behalf and invites you into the freedom of his perfection. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. This perfection and justification you will press into more and more as you keep Jesus on the throne of your life. Thank you for listening to today's podcast and consider subscribing and sharing with others. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please go to princetonfree.com. God bless.